Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. Today, I'm joined by Kyler Broadus. Kyler W. Broadus is an attorney, activist, public speaker, and former professor originally from Missouri. As an African-American, Kyler has always been community conscious. He was the first in his immediate family of his generation to graduate high school and college. After he announced his gender transition while working at a major financial institution, six months later, he was constructively discharged. When he lost his job, he thought there must be laws that protect individuals when they're discriminated against. After filing a lawsuit in federal court, though, he learned quickly that transgender people weren't covered under any discrimination laws. This propelled him to want to make sure that there were laws that protected others in the transgender community as well as gender non-conforming people of color. He's the founder of Trans People of Color Coalition. The coalition exists to advance justice for all trans people of color by amplifying trans stories, supporting leadership, and challenging issues of racism, transphobia, and trans misogyny. In 2011, he was awarded the National Gay and Lesbian Task Force's Sue J. Hyde Award for Longevity in the Movement and the Pioneer Award at the Trans Faith of Color Conference presented by the Freedom Center of Social Justice. In 2012, Kyler made history by becoming the first openly transgender person to testify before the U.S. Senate. He was speaking on behalf of the Employment Non-Discrimination Act, which would prohibit employment discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation and gender identity. He has served on the boards of several organizations and is a founding board member of a national think tank, the Transgender Law and Policy Institute. Kyler speaks and lobbies on the national, state, and local levels in the areas of transgender and sexual orientation law and advocacy. He has also been featured on local and national television and radio and offers diversity and leadership trainings throughout the United States to schools, colleges, employers, government agencies, and businesses. Tyler, welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you today? Michelle, I'm great. How are you? And thank you for having me. Oh, I'm doing great. I often tell people that you are my brother from another mother because... 
we met and it was just like one of those con- situations where you click with somebody immediately and it was like we'd known each other forever. And, you know, I always look for you if we're in the same city or look for opportunities to talk to you. Yeah. One of the first things we talked about was being black and discrimination as being black. Like you said, you know, you lived in Missouri. Um, your, I believe it was your parents were the children of slaves. You were the first one in your generation to finish high school and then look how you went on. And you were black in a place where, you know, you weren't in St. Louis. There weren't a lot of black people. So you felt discrimination not only as being African-American, as being a member of the LGBT community, and being trans. And yet you, you know, you didn't cower, you didn't go in the closet, you stood strong. What gave you that strength? Well, first I was going to say I definitely feel that kindred spirit of you're a sister from another mother, uh, that ancient <laughs> connection Brown. That's that's what I interrupted you to say. And look for you in any venue or city that we are in, I, I feel the same. Um, and the, to the point that you're asking me about, um, yeah, I really noticed the difference uh, when I come back home to Missouri after residing in D.C. and New York for a little bit, um, the difference uh, uh, in Missouri. And I'll always be a Missourian. I love Missouri. I'll always be a Fayesian. I have a little bit of <laughs> to my voice. I'm recovering from Bell Palsy. Um, uh, but a Fayesian, I grew up in Fayette, not Fayetteville. I, people always say when I say Fayette, they'll add the Ville to it. No, it's Fayette, Missouri. I'll be a proud Fayesian until the day I die uh, and a proud Missourian. Uh, with that being said, I had two very strong parents um, that that have gone on uh, and and uh, and and passed, and that I loved dearly, and that supported me through my whole life. And now that they're gone, I realize that those two people were the most. And I realized that even when they were here, I I know, but I really realize that now that they're gone, the most influential people in my life. And uh, I'm sure others do, because whenever I speak, it doesn't matter what type of speech I deliver and where I am, uh, whether it's to fourth graders or whether it's to policymakers, my parents always are in the speech. Uh, Mm. And I always feel them in my heart. Uh, They were strong, and they were honest, genuine people, and people that really see me see that genuineness. Uh, I was sitting with someone the other day, and they said, you're just genuine, aren't you? And I'm like, I am. I'm straight at it. I'm no games. Uh, And that's the way each of my parents were, and that's how they taught me to be. I don't hold baggage. I don't hold resentment, grudges, or hate. That's a waste of time. I take my energy to do good in the world, and that's, you know, when I found out there were no laws to protect me, I didn't waste any time. I'm like, I'm going to make some. That's what's going to happen here because I don't want other people to suffer the perils that I suffered. And that's the way my parents dealt with life. And they really were teachers in how they taught me uh, to live. And I knew that they did that intentionally. And if you could have been in each eulogy, even though they were more than 20 years apart, yeah, they were more than 20 years apart, each eulogy was exactly the same. 
they were about their children, providing for their children and being role models for their children and being role models in the community and being community leaders. Um, you know, and we had much more of an African-American or black community, and that's so why I stick with that word, black communities. In the olden days, in, in our black communities are disparate and more apart now than they were then uh, due to change, and, and that's a whole other uh, podcast we can do. <laughs> uh, and I'd love to do that one with you. Uh, for various reasons, and we don't have time to get into that, but we were more compacted as black communities when I grew up. And, you know, the people down the street could tell your children what to do, and they looked after your children, you know, when the parents were away at work. And um, so my parents were my, my role models, and they helped me be strong. And so I tried to be that role model, and I really have been very successful with that uh, as a mentor, I love being a, a college professor, um, um, and I took that, and I get notes every day, even though I hadn't been a, in the classroom as a professor for now going on six years, but it heartens me when I get notes from my students because that role modelness came, and that's not even a word, from my parents uh, when I was a dad that they didn't have or they lost. Uh, when I was that parent that they needed. And I started to realize that early on, and I never breached any student's trust. I stood as their role model, uh, that professor that they needed. And I get long notes every day, and, uh, and I just have been very sick from Bell's palsy and not knowing whether I was going to sneak again, quite frankly. And I was having a bad day last month and uh, was down, and I had – just like the picture on Facebook because they follow me on Facebook. They follow me on Twitter. They follow me on LinkedIn. And I just had liked the picture because I see them. I meet students where they're at and help them grow into their potential. And that's what a great professor does because I had great uh -huh. teachers and professors too, and that's important as well. And, and I saw potential in them that nobody else saw in them. That's what they tell me, and that's what I looked for. I never saw a student that couldn't learn, and that's what I liked about teaching. And, it's, and they, they'll come back and tell me, you saw me that one day when I was struggling, and that's what this young lady said because I saw her happy with her husband, and I thought I recognized him, and she was smiling and all grown up, you know, and I like that even though I'm only 35. <laughs> and uh, and she sent me this long uh, thought she's having a problem because they'll come back to me for that too, no matter what it is, and even now. And it wasn't. And she sent me a long letter. And it was like, you know, my dad had passed, and this other teacher had told me that I couldn't do this. And you looked down the hall at me, and you said, come into my office. And you sat back in your chair like I'd always do because I had a bad back. And I put my feet up, and I said, tell me what's going on to her. And she told me, and she goes, we'll figure this out together, which is what I would always yeah. do. And uh -huh. I learned that I had that power early on when this young woman came in and told me she was pregnant and her life was over. And I told her, no, it wasn't. I said, it's just the beginning. I said, you're just pregnant. You're having a baby. We'll figure it out together. Uh -huh. We'll call Grandma. We'll call Nana. We'll call whoever. We're going to do this together. And that's how I treated my students. And, uh, you know, whether it was a guy, a girl, or the gay students, I became the safe zone uh, for gay students and LGBTQ whatever students, non-binary students, because they knew 
that I would not reach the trust and that I was going to sit down on that phone and call Nana or Grandma or Grandpa or the parents with them, and we were going to do it together and that it was going to be okay. And so that's how I've approached advocacy with LGBTQ youth and people, and that's my passion for life. And I got that from my mother and my father, who took many a child in. And even when I write about my parents on Facebook, somebody will chime in and say, oh, well, I knew Fanny, which was my mother's name. And mm-hmm. I just wrote an op-ed about uh, transgender in the military. And my dad was commander-in-chief of this American Legion post for 55 years. And they go, well, that was Fanny's husband. He must have been a good man. And I'm sorry. Because Fanny was a great woman, and I knew Fanny, and she was like a mom to me. And she took me in when I was at university as her child, so he must have been a good man. About Fanny, and uh, mm-hmm. or, and they'll say, or well, uh, uh, I, or then vice versa. And I'll let you finish because uh, you know they're with me every day. And uh, anyway, it just brings tears to me that people thought so well of each of my parents because they took people in that didn't have a parent sometimes or were treated badly by others and they took them in as their children and loved them unconditionally. Well, you know, Kyler, what, what, what I, as I listen to you and what I think about you and what you do, you know, we talk about, you know, back in the day, I mean, and I would say even pre-integration, you know, when we were what we had and we took people in and we had that sense of community and family and Those are things that you have brought into your work, like whether it's as a professor or in the trans community or in the LGBTQ community. Like you said, you know, well, we'll go work this out. We'll call Nana. Or you'll say to me, well, we'll call so-and-so. So-and-so is doing this in the community. And bringing people together as resources and even reclaiming that familyness even though, you know, it's a different era and people are doing all these things, but those core values, that's what you bring to the movement. Exactly, Michelle. And that's why I'm glad to be doing this podcast, and I'm glad to be making this turn or change in the work and working for Kyler Broadus again because, Mm -hmm. you know, people have tried to paint me otherwise, but Kyler is Kyler. Kyler has mm-hmm. always been this way, and Kyler's always going to be this way for the many more years I have to live and do this work. And you're exactly right, and thanks for uh, pulling me back down uh, and uh, bringing me back uh, to earth for a minute. It's totally, <laughs> that's what I do. It's about bringing people together. It's about loving all people, and I do. And I actually just wrote a little blog post on my professional Facebook page this morning about intersectionality, uh, about, you know, Harvard having five women, de- black women deans. And it was about um, the truth that needs to be talked about now in this era of Trump and the divisiveness. Mm. It's about we have differences and it's great to celebrate differences. But in the end, we are all, we all have commonality. And it's so funny because I, I was born in this high, as we used to call and still do in the black communities and due to slavery, differentiating our blackness and skins of color. 
and I was this high-level child that used to get beaten up, and I never had a group when I grew up because black people hated me at school and uh, white people didn't like me because we were in the heights of, of the uh, segregation at that time. And, mm-hmm. you know, we've moved so fast, people don't realize that or take the pause or breath to think about that because we had the, you know, the BLM movement that came out, Black Lives Matters, and BASH, the Civil Rights Movement, and then there's not a grip of understanding about the, the Black Civil Rights Movement of the 1960s and a lack of respect for that movement because uh, mm-hmm. people don't understand those of us that moved and lived through that movement. But I, and so people don't even want to hear me talk about it and then think I'm being racist when I talk about it. And people don't understand that until we deal with anti-blackness and racism, because there's anti-blackness to deal with first before we deal with the racism, that then affects mm-hmm. all communities of color. We can't then deal with sexism and all the other isms. And that, that impacts all communities of color, anti-blackness does. And so we have to have those discussions and talk about these things to get to the core and the rootness of it all. But as I travel through this world, I get mistaken for all communities of color, which is a funny thing and interesting, because I get respect from those communities of color when I blend into those communities of color. And uh, one day I was uh, I take out my laundry in New York, and I take it to a laundry place, and there's this Chinese woman that works there, and I see my mother in that woman. Mm-hmm. and it pleases me to take my laundry there, and we communicate, and she knows that I see that in her. And so I look for her every chance I get when I take my laundry there, and we have this communication going on and this love for each other. And that's the connectedness that people should look for in each other, and that's what we don't when we have a person that sees divisiveness in the mm-hmm. world because there's so much connectedness that we can find in each other and so much healing because this woman knows that I miss my mother, who is Mm -hmm. much darker than she is, of course, and who was a black woman. But I feel my mother's spirit move in this Chinese woman. Do you feel me? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, you know, and I think that that's one of the, I mean, what you just sort of hit it, that you are able to because... It's nice, you know, that there's a connectivity when you talk about people of color, but there's also that uniqueness of being a black person and having that black experience. And you, like you said, you are, you stand firmly in being uh, from the black community, but you're able to look at this woman and see that connection, that spirit, even though, you know, and, and talk about that. And how important yep. that is in the work that you do. Exactly. Because you know I'm unabashedly black and proud. Mm-hmm. And, but at the same time, I can look at other communities and find connectivity. And that's the thing, is the pie is big enough for us all. And we must recognize that the pie is big enough for us all, even within the black community and within the trans community. And that we must not see hate because Hate does not heal. Love heals. And, you know, 
you know, when, you know, one of my favorite people's quote, of course, is, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, and there are other quotes I take from other people, and I love other people, but you know, he is my favorite. And, you know, and the thing is, darkness does not heal darkness. You know, love heals darkness. And mm. so, you know, just to paraphrase him and his lovely quotes, you know, because there's so many he has, and there's so many pearls of wisdom that come from his language and his speeches that can be picked. But those, that's one of my favorite ones. And so we must remember that, you know, we can see, and I see so much darkness, we skew at each other these days. It's just horrendous, you know, on blogs, in tweets, on Facebook, and in language. It's, it's just, I prefer to stay away from people. And I'm an introvert by nature, which people don't know. So I go inside immediately rather than deal with people. Even in public, I go inside uh, rather than deal uh, because I don't like to deal in negativity. I would just rather not deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, and and, and cause that's how I've always dealt because I have had so much hate seen at me. You know, I have been bullied since the age of five, uh, and I'm still bullied. Actually, within the trans community, there's bullying that goes on that people don't speak of. Within the trans black community, there's bullying that goes on. And it's not uh, talked about. You know, we don't even have safe space within the LGBTQ community anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, at a time we did. You know, I, I, you know, I've gone through all the letters of the community, and that's something we don't talk about. And... Um, you know, I, I can talk and talk to people that were in the gay, quote, ungay community and say there was a time when we told people that if you come to a meeting with your baggage, uh, that you were told to, you were told to check it at the door. And there's a memory that people had that were in that gay movement and that go, yes, I remember that. And then mm-hmm. we added other letters on and people don't have that memory bank because they were not in that part of the movement. So while we expect others to come into that movement, we have to do some checking and some language and some conversations if we're going to then bring other people into that movement. And we have to hold people accountable, and we're not doing that anymore. So what we have, and I'm going to go on record as saying, is that we can't then not expect everybody to then be in a movement that is not on the same page. Well, you know, in 2011, okay, you received this award for longevity in the movement, okay, and usually if you think like in longevity in the movement, you're hoping that, you know, movement is changing and stuff, but don't you see a lot of the same issues that were happening in 2011 are still happening now and haven't been resolved? Oh, they're unresolved, and we're not Mm -hmm. making any attempts to resolve any issues is what I see. I see new leaders, new faces and no attempt to resolve old, resolve old issues. Uh, and I see more issues coming into the movement, but no resolution of issues. We just have issues that are unchecked, unresolved, and no accountability. And, and then if I speak out, I'm negative and I'm a naysayer and I'm judged. And I see no respect for leaders. All I see is leaders being removed from the movement that tried to hold the movement accountable. And that's why I'm glad to do my own brand and be my own brand again, because we mm-hmm. don't want to hold people accountable. We got, went to the 
uh, and I'm just going to call it the Facebook model. Uh, uh, as long as I get a lot of likes and a lot of hearts, then I'm a leader, and that's good enough, and it's not good enough. And I'm here to say it's not good enough. And I'm going to become louder and more vocal about it's not good enough. And that's why I'm happy to be with KylerBrothers.com. Well, you know, you go ahead. You you've been doing this for a while, okay? And I've been doing this for a while. And you know, there was a time when people would say, you know, oh, I look for the day when you know we resolve these issues, so there's no more need for you know this advocacy, this organization. But now, I mean, many of the organizations have become almost like an industry. And, you know, where it's not like about solving the problems, it's like making jobs and getting grant funding. And is that part of what you've seen happen, which is also why it's important that sometimes we step out on our own or get back to being that voice like what you're doing? I agree with you. You know, we talk about the prison industrial complex, and I see the nonprofit industrial complex, and um, and I see that as part of the problem. Yes, I do. We have not gone to resolving issues. We just create more industry, you know, and it's like, well, where did the problem solving go? And I do see there's a loss of that vision, and it is because times have changed, but then you remove the leaders that had that vision. And and somebody said to me uh, uh, on my blog this morning, you know, well, there's ageism and isms. And I said, oh, yes, sister, there is. <laughs> and ageism in a negative way. And, you know, we used to talk about it towards the younger people, but it's really towards the elders. And we call people elders at like 32 now. Uh-huh. And it's what the hell, you know, and I remember that happening to me when I was convening something, and I'm like, okay, so one, you're now defining me, but you don't want anybody to define you. So how am I an elder if I'm 32, boo, and excuse me, I got that in New York. I picked that up somewhere. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and I'm like, you don't want anybody to define me, but now you're defining me, and you're deciding when it's time for me to sit down. And it's like, I'll decide when it's time for me to sit down, and you don't get to paint me. I paint me. And, and I'm not old. And I'm not old now. And, uh, and, the, and this movement is worse than mainstream in doing that to people. This movement, and I, it's always been described as a movement that chews up and spits out more people than ever. And I see that happening more so than ever before. And I see the negativity charge that, people that have been around longer because it's like we don't have a chance. We're not supposed to weigh in at mm-hmm. all on anything. It's just supposed to be other people that weigh in that are younger. And I'm not bashing younger voices. I'm for all voices. I'm going to make that clear because Kyler's always been clear about what he is about. I say what I mean, and I mean what I say, and I follow the actions that I intend. I've never been a person, and Michelle can vouch, and she doesn't have me on uh-huh. the show, everybody on the show, to say uh-huh. what they're going to say. But Kyla's always been clear, and people that really, truly work with me and know me know that, and including all the thousands of students that I've taught, and I've taught thousands of students, 
uh, and from multiple universities that I say what I mean and I do what I say, and there's no hidden agenda about me. That uh, that um, you know uh, I I'm for all voices, and I always encourage young voices. I encourage middle-aged voices, and I encourage elder voices. But what we do in this movement is we try to shut down elder voices now. And I see that real loud and clearly. Because um, I was offended when, and, I, and uh, Dr. Monty Woody's been last year his podcast when she asked me to join the elder group. I was like, oh, no, boo, you're not going to paint me as no old person. You know, <laughs> I'm not going to put that out there. And, but mm-hmm. now I see the to do that advocacy. I got that picture now because I'm like, oh, I get it now. And so, you know, because she asked me years ago, and I was like, girl, what you trying to do, age me? But I see what is happening. And it's like there's no room for elders to speak. And it's like, oh, you know, and I'm about the stage for everyone. You know, everybody gets to speak on my stage. And it's like, um, so why are we trying to shut down voices? What's that about? You know, we need to be asking these questions and probing. There is wisdom that comes from mm-hmm. these voices. And so, yes, we need to shut down the complex. We need mm-hmm. to start solving these problems and and go ahead and ask the next question. Cause I well, know but do, do, you, do you also feel like within the complex there is a tension, even a contradiction? Because I was talking to someone, with, uh, uh, you know, who was – here trying to do something, and I recognized, you know, and at one point I said, you know, there's a difference between people who are grassroots and who are doing the work and those of you who are paid gay. I mean, and they took great offense to that, but the but thing was, it's like they were trying to do it like a job, you know, like any other job without hearing community. And do you also feel like in this, this complex that pushing out of grassroots voices, those who have done the work, by those who are professionally paid gay? You know, I do. And, you know, some people are going to give me pushback on that, but I've only been professionally paid gay for a little bit because I've mm-hmm. always been grassroots. And I do see a distinction because paid gay people don't get the benefit of those of us that have been grassroots. And they don't listen to those of us that have been grassroots either. And so there's this sort of fine line, and they don't understand a lot. And it's like, and so then when somebody from the grassroots come in, there's an assumption that we don't understand the political landscape and that, Mm -hmm. like, I have to start in the mail room before I can go to the top. And it's like, no, what you don't understand is that I have now 30 years probably more, I can't even keep counting because I pretend to be 35 in my head, uh, in, in the movement. And I understand the grassroots, the grass top, and the grass middle. And so I can run mm-hmm. any entity that I want to, you know, and I forget that when I'm with gay, gay people. But when I'm with regular people that are regular people, they understand that I'm a businessman, and they treat me mm-hmm. like that because I have entrepreneurs that I have put out into the world that are spinning and doing everything. I have people that are working in Hollywood now that are that I have mentored. I have people that are in the many industries that I have mentored that have been my students that are out there, and they treat me as such. Do you follow? Am mm-hmm. I making sense? Okay, mm-hmm. because I know I'm, I'm, I'm not all there with, with, with my illness. So, 
and then to go into paid gay and have people treat me as inferior is really frustrating because I know how the system works. I have been in the courtroom. I'm an eloquent attorney. I've had judges call me back to chambers to tell me because they knew I was trans that, and I didn't, and they had some lower expectation to tell me that I am welcome to practice in their courtroom any day, that I'm an excellent attorney. I've had judges that are, are like I would never expect compliments before that have gone on record in a newspaper when somebody's asking for a quote to say the same thing, but then yet I'm treated inferiorly in the gay LGBT professional community. And that really insults me, and I'm going on record as saying that now, and I'll be going on more records saying that now, because Kyler is open and unabashedly on KylerFraudist.com store saying mm-hmm. that. Because it's okay. an insult to the grassroots people to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So thank okay, you well, that. we're going we're to take our first break here, and we'll be right back. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. back here on Collections by Michelle Brown with my guest, Kyler Broadus. And Kyler, you know, in 2012, you testified uh, uh, before the Senate on the need for an Employment Non-Discrimination Act. And, you know, maybe the optics look better, you know. I mean, we've got people who have been elected. We've got people who are on TV We've got our big gay organizations showing up at, you know, things behind the scene. But, you know, a lot hasn't changed for LGBT people. Um, We still have trans people, primarily of color, being assaulted, killed, murdered. You know, we still have people who are losing their jobs simply because they're gay, denied housing, unable to adopt, and we have someone who is of an orange color in the White House who now is trying to, you know, push again his agenda of exclusion, even though he says now he's going to work at eradicating HIV and AIDS. Um, So you were there. You were there in front of, of the Senate, and you still see that despite the optics, we still have a long way to come if, if we haven't stepped backwards what do, you, what do you see as the issues and what do people need to wake up about the point we are at today in history? Well, you know, Michelle, that's an excellent question. And, you know, I was also perceived by a lot of younger people during the Obama era saying we're not there yet. It's great what's happening, but as an elder trans person, 
uh, not an elder, but as a, an experienced trans person, we're not there yet. Uh, we didn't expect to see these gains in my lifetime, and we're excited, but we got a long way to go, and we don't know who's coming into office next. And that was even before uh, the Trump administration had been voted in. So I was seeing this negative, a naysayer, and people were offended by my comments when that was just reality. And then, mm-hmm. lo and behold, Trump was elected. And we were all shocked and appalled and in awe and depressed. And then even after he was elected, I said, made these same statements, and then again. And, it's, and my statements were not intended or directed at anyone, but people that were younger and uh, took my statements as offensive. It's reality. Um, uh-huh. Visibility is good. Visibility and social change are good. And I do think that's a big part of change. You know, I've taught discrimination in employment or, or, or employment discrimination. And uh, social change is good. But, however, legally he has stripped much of the change that Obama created, which were executive orders, which are signed by 10 of the president. Okay. And while uh-huh. Obama was doing that, he didn't have the uh, uh, Congress that worked with him. So, you know, everything was picturesque when I tested. Well, we were hopeful. We weren't even, we, you know, we didn't know in 2012, you know, we weren't that optimistic in 2012. We, you know, we thought we're, we're getting testified. That was a victory that we just got to testify. Those of us that had been in this for the long haul, uh, that was as much as we hoped for. It was just to get to testify, honestly. So any more than that was like you who icing on the cake. But from a, a political and legal standpoint, you know, we understood that executive orders were just that, a piece of paper. Um, so... Now we've got visibility, but we we have case law, you know. So we still have Title VII uh, that protects us. We have strong litigators that are, you know, going to fight the, this trans ban, and we're very hopeful on that. And I'm working with the litigators on that, and and uh, we're we're optimistic the case law stands in our favor, even though the Supreme Court uh, took away the. Uh, the uh, injunction uh, on the trans ban and its horrible impact on the trans soldiers uh, and the morale, and actually that some are in mid-transition and are having to leave the services, uh, and there's no reason for a ban to begin with when trans soldiers have been there all along, and that the U.S. Armed Services are the largest employer of black Americans, uh, and that the you know, armed services is the largest employer of trans Americans, quite frankly. Uh-huh. So, again, Trump is not dealing in reality. However, that has a severe impact on trans people and trans people inside and outside the military. And so we'll have to go through the court battle. We were lucky just the other day that uh, there was a bipartisan, bipartisan bills that were introduced in Congress uh, and that uh, will support the trans troops. Uh, however, unless, you know, the Senate does its part under Mitch McConnell, they're not going to go very far. And they could override, if we had Senate leadership, the president, uh, even if he wouldn't sign them. But it's still a good signal. So that's as far as the military ban. And we still have Title VII, which that arguably is in our favor as far as employment discrimination. 
for trans people and gay people, uh, LGBT people. So those, the case law is in our favor. However, he filled the courts with Republican judges. Uh, but what I want to say about that to give hope to people is that if we look back, that many of our rights have been won under conservative uh, leadership. Uh, not that I'm saying Trump is the leader. I'm saying that under Republican leadership, lots of our uh, civil rights have been won. So it doesn't mean that we're down and out, but it doesn't mean that we're at safe at home plate either, that we still have work to do, that what we have to do is what happened when we turned the House in 2016. We have mm-hmm. lots of work to do. You know, actually, before this, I just listened to, and I'm not advocating anybody for any party at this time that's too early in the race, but I'm a politico, and I and uh, Senator Warren just announced her presidency, yeah. uh, and mm-hmm. I was listening to that right before this podcast, and I'm a politico. I just get fired up, and she gave a fiery speech, and it was the great speech, and I encourage everybody to get educated on all issues and stay engaged, and... If you think about it, and I encourage anybody, go out there and run for office. Do your homework. Do your footwork. You know, be like AOC. You know, uh, I love mm-hmm. AOC. And, you mm-hmm. know, she stays educated and on the edge. And when she thinks she's too far, she pulls herself back, you know, to stay in line with the party. You know, and the party's not always right, but sometimes you can't run out there alone, especially in Washington. You know, you've got to be with the pack just a little bit. You know, I watched her the other night after the uh, so-called State of the Union, and, you know, she knew she needed to stay in line with the party, and she pulled herself back a little bit, uh, you know, because mm-hmm. I'm a guy that runs alone usually, but I also know when I need to pull myself back, and she did, and she pulled back and stayed with her caucus. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, uh, and President Pelosi, you know, is running a good caucus, and I'm glad that, you know, they were smart enough to know that um, and you didn't even get my joke about President Pelosi, dear moderator. Uh, yeah, uh uh-huh. 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 <laughs> That, you know, Nancy Pelosi knows how to control her caucus, and I'm glad that folks stayed with uh, Nancy Pelosi to run the caucus, and they're staying together and running with power uh, because that's what we need to overcome the darkness. And, again, referring to uh, uh, the darkness that is running this country and that has mm-hmm. divided all of us, and we've allowed it to divide us. And mm-hmm. we cannot allow that darkness to overcome us. And I'm using the euphemism because it is darkness. That whole mm-hmm. position fizzling away at each of us, We're even within the LGBT community. We must come together as one, and, and, and Senator Warren even used MLK, and it's so true. And, and he warned us of this would, day would come, and he did. And I'm going to use that as well, that we must stay vigilant and not let that divisiveness come within this community or other communities that we're in, that we must realize as the people written in the Constitution, we must come together to get rid of this darkness. doesn't mean we must sell out. Tyler's not a sellout, you know, Mm -hmm. because he did. He wouldn't be sitting here in the LGBT uh, community talking to you, LGBT community talking to you right now. I've never been a sellout. I never will be a sellout. Uh, I, that's why I speak unabashedly about who and what I stand for at each and every chance I get. Uh, and, you know, but we must come together and stand for the right principles and the right things and do the right thing to get rid of uh, Donald Trump out of office and, um, so, and get someone in office that's going to do the right thing. 
And so uh, that means, yes, go ahead. Mary you know, I, I, heard you, I heard you, President Pelosi, and I just sort of sit here and smile. But I'm going to ask you, okay, I know you probably, you know, saw all the parts of the State of the Union, but what did you think of Stacey Abrams' response? Well, I think she hit all the bases very well. I love Stacey Abrams' response. Um, mm-hmm. uh, she hit back, and she hit back squarely at the president. And I'm sorry, I use sports euphemisms all the time. But, you mm-hmm. know, when I heard it, I was, uh, you know, uh, jumping up and down, and I texted my sister, and I said, she hit a home run. Mm -hmm. Um, She hit all the bases and ran it in, is what Stacey Abrams did. She hit squarely at the problems in this country, and she spoke to everyone. She didn't just speak to black America, which is what a lot of people want to think. She spoke to every American in her response in the State of the Union, and she was saying the same thing that I'm trying to say not so well today is that we must stick together together as the people, for the people, and by the people, and not let, uh, you know, we distract these distractions because that is what this president is doing. He's not governing. He's not fit for governing, and I can tell you that as a person that's been in politics for years and all the people that want to say, where are the trans men, I'm throwing a little out there, too, with politics. I've been in politics for years and years. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had hit all of the bases as, uh, as, a pol- as a politician should and spoke to, we must not be distracted by all this president's distraction, and he's not been governing at all. And this wall is totally about racism for the people that don't understand racism. And it's like, you know, we're, we know he had two years to get a wall, and he had Thank both, you. both houses. You, uh, you, you, you had the hand. You know how, you remember how back in the day would say, if I had your hand, I'd throw mine in. He had the hand, and he didn't I'm get it. I'm not a real good card player, but, right, he had all the cards for, for whatever mm-hmm. hand. You know, I, I'm not a card player, but I am a ball player. Right, but mm-hmm. he had both chambers. He had the house and the Senate, and so he could have got the wall then, so where is the emergency? And the thing that bothers me is people are not using logic in their political choices, and they're using politics as if it were a sports game and choosing jerseys. And that's how mm. I respond to people if they come at me uh, and, you know, with their non-analysis about politics. I'm like, you're choosing sports jerseys. This isn't about sports. This is about politics, even though I use sports metaphors sometimes. And I'm like, this is not about choosing sports jerseys. This is about choosing someone to govern this country. And so where is the crisis that so occurred now between December and January that you need a wall? And by the way, people are bringing in stuff, just like all the drugs that just came in at the tip of Florida. So where's the, was you going to build a wall around Florida now? Uh-huh. So, uh, or the airport entry, uh, because, you know, and then all of a sudden these people that are coming in that are poor and straggled, that are asylum seekers at Mexico, where did they get better cars than we had? I mean, the man doesn't even see good logic to these issues, and people are buying it, even in the LGBT community, by the way, and the black community, who are disenfranchised communities, because they have a few dollars to this person's rhetoric, and not logic. And some of the people buying in even have degrees from Harvard, MIT, et cetera, and they're supposed to be intelligent, 
that are not even using logic. And I have a degree from State U, and I see through the there is no logic to this rhetoric. So it's about dividing people, and divide and conquer has been the tool that's used for years and years for people to take over and rule when there is no reason or rationale to whatever they're doing and to distract from what should be going on, which is that, you know, this is the only president in modern-day living that has been uh, subject to this many investigations. Even Nixon knew when it was time to give up the gig, you know, and, and mm-hmm. I lived through Nixon, and he knew when it was time to resign. And this man will never resign. He's going to have to be pulled out of there or handcuffed out of the office to be taken out of the office. So oh, yeah. I had more that, you know, Ronald Reagan knew that a wall didn't solve anything. He told Gorbachev to tear down the wall. And these people don't get that. And Ronald Reagan was a Republican. John McCain knew that no wall was needed. So it's like, hello, people, wake up and smell the coffee. You know, he does not cast the smell test. So I don't need to get riled up. But, you know, this man is just not even, he can, you know, I remember being a fourth grader and thinking that, and this hit me the other day, thinking that, wow, the president has to be really smart. Now, fourth graders, and I said this to somebody, he goes, oh, no, I have to explain this to my fifth grader. And he's a staunch mm. Republican. And he said, yeah, my fifth grader goes, Daddy, this man, and, I, and is, there's something wrong with him. His fifth grader says that. And when a fifth grader can say that about the United, president of the United States, what is wrong with the adults in this country? So, you know, I'll leave probably, you know. there. Uh, you know, sometimes, you know, we keep talking about, you know, oh, this should be a teachable moment. This should be a teachable moment. But it seems like, I mean, because if you look at, okay, we had another shooting. You know, we had the Parkland school shooting, but we also have had in the past Sandy Hook. We had uh, the shooting in Las Vegas. We've had, you know, where gun control, no one seems to be learning the message. You know, we've had trans people in the military who have served with valor. I know I recently talked to Karen Kendra Holmes, who twice yeah. was named Soldier of the Year, you know, in different divisions, and we have this ban on not having trans people in the oh, military. Man. I mean, I mean, when, when are we going to learn from, you know, we've got these teachable moments, we've got these outstanding yeah. examples of what is, good about diversity, inclusion, uh, wise thinking, but we don't seem to be learning. We don't. I've served, I mean, I've served, I've talked to, because I'm doing this veterans project, so many that have risked their life in, on the front lines and are willing to do it, that are majors, that are lieutenant majors, that are almost colonels in the military that have risked their lives for this country, that have given their lives to this country, that are trans. When are we going to learn? It makes me cry. I convened a panel a week ago today, and I was in tears, and I realized how indoctrinated I am to the military, and I almost served uh, in the United States Marines, but I didn't because my father talked me out of it, and I, as I talked about him being commander-in-chief, and, how, and I am very military-oriented, and how he gave his service but was denied his GI benefits for being a black man who served mm. on foreign soil for this country. Um, we never learn. 
you know, and people thought Truman was backwards because he initiated black men serving in the military, and it was men that day, even though women did serve, and, and then they thought women weren't qualified. Women had already been serving and tooling uh, military machines and et cetera in World War One and Two, by the way, and we still had to go through that silliness and that women weren't, and we never learn or seem to get the lesson. And it was heartbreaking last week as I did this channel, and I was almost in tears hearing the stories of trauma. Not only had they risked their lives, but the trauma of experience that the military is putting them through, and this president is putting these military people through. And then the trans people that live in trauma, including myself, every day, you know, and I don't ever share my stories of trauma, uh, when I talk about, because I try to be a role model and listen to other people's trauma, but the trauma of life and limb that people go through every day as trans people just navigating this world, and now we've got the trauma back for black people navigating. You know, going in, in my post this morning, uh, talking about, you know, people are afraid to go to school. There was a, uh, yesterday, just yesterday, they had to be armed, a young guy, 18, and locked down a school again because he showed up with a rifle. When are we uh. going to learn? And I'm for a gun, gun, but I'm for gun control. I'm not going to deny that. It's like, you know, I don't need a semi-automatic to, to shoot a deer, you know. Uh -huh. It's like, what do I need semi-automatics for? And why do these kids get guns? You know, how is this happening? But yet we're, we're distracted about building a border wall that doesn't need to be built. You know, nobody's importing methamphetamines, and that, the, that uh, the sitting president can sit up there and say that. You know, I, my home state is a red state, and I'm not so proud to say it's the number one state in the country that produces methamphetamines. You don't transport methamphetamines. This man doesn't mm -hmm. know anything about drugs. It's like, mm -hmm. if you do, you're going to blow up. It's like, hello, you don't import that from Mexico. Who wrote that? Come on, get a clue. You know, so you don't know anything about drugs, where they're imported, how they're imported, but you're going to make some policy about drugs? It's like, no. You know, I just say go back, you know, and it's like, you know, get your information correctly. If anybody's importing that, they are going to blow up, and certainly some asylum seekers are definitely not packing that and trying to come here to seek asylum from their life of uh, 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 tears from another country. You know, stop playing black and brown people as the boogeyman and let's deal with real issues and real problems uh, and what we do and that's why it's playing on people's fears instead of realities and because people sit out uneducated don't read books and look at two channels or one channel on TV and don't cross source their news sources uh, you know I grew up in Missouri and people say wow you did it's like well yeah but I learned and paid attention in school and they taught us to cross check news sources Listen to one new, more than one news source, and you'll figure out that, oh, they didn't tell you all the facts. Mm -hmm. So, sorry to go Are off. You, well, no, no, that's okay, you know, because that, that, that's, that's in part why I want you on, because of your voice, and that, you know, you talk about more than, you know, many people say, oh, if it's going to be somebody gay, they're just going to talk about gay issues. We live in the crosshairs of our intersectionality. And, you know, when I hear them talking about, you know, $5 billion for a national emergency, I think of how they still don't have, people are still drinking out of bottled water in Flint. 
And in our schools, we have teachers who are bringing in bottled water because the pipes are bad, not only here in Detroit, but in, in older cities across the country. I know that there are children across the country who are living below poverty and depending on that one school meal for that's often their main meal. Hey, and, sister, that's what I was going to say. The water pipes all across this country, mm-hmm. I can tell you in rural Missouri, they need water pipes as well. You know, mm-hmm. they don't know what they're drinking. In New York mm-hmm. State, at all across this country, people mm-hmm. are drinking tainted water. The homeless rate is out of this world. We could fix the housing problem if we took that $5 million, and everybody could be in a home. And like you said, children, yeah, I'm all about that because I used to be on the board of a food bank and a food pantry, and I'm all about because all these issues intersect all our lives. And I'm all about people. And, yes, these children depend on that one meal a day. And guess what? The government has cut back that money. And a lot of my friends are school teachers that, by the way, can barely make it because we don't fund school teacher salaries, which are the most important people in the world. And I used to be a teacher that taught at a college that they don't get paid very well either. And that's the most important resource are our children and the school teachers that are striking across this country and governors that are wanting to take away or cut their pay, but also our children, like you said, that are eating one meal a day, and I used to see it every day, and I would help to feed those children. And I've done many a food drive, a Special Olympics drive, do the Special Olympics or the Special Olympics children, you know, which is something I plan to start doing again as well. And it's like all this $5 million for a fake wall that will serve no purpose that could go to all these causes for our people, the people that this president supposedly represents, that's where that money needs to be going. And yet we sit uneducated and our own children are starving and homeless. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really, I mean, you know, I mean, you stop and you look at so many things. I mean, just like the the pictures that they showed, you know, why is anybody freezing to death outside? You know, yeah. and and you know, and our infrastructure, our our roads are crumbling. Our infrastructure is behind. There are areas where you know we might. Everybody thinks that everyone is connected, but there are areas where people don't have access to broadband or internet connections to where they can get access to all this news that's out there. But there's many ways that you see, like, this is the national emergency um, that affects everybody. It is, sister. It truly is. And we need a forward-thinking president that gets that. We in this country have a national emergency, and this is the national emergency. Feeding, housing, and getting water to our people and the infrastructure. The roads and bridges are horrendous across this country. And we need to be taking care of home base. And we need somebody that's not a billionaire, and that's what I'm going to just put out there, or a millionaire who doesn't, hasn't traveled this country and only goes to their little posh areas. And that's one of my little things I have even within the LGBT community, you know, with the leaders. It's like you go to all the places where there's protections and you don't get how to organize 
in the South, and you just concentrate there. But what about the Midwest? Y'all have called that the flyover zone. And then you go to these places and you put people in jeopardy because you don't know how to organize there, and you don't understand it. But I'm from a red state. I understand it, and you don't listen to me because I can tell you how it works. But you don't you discount me because you think you know how it works. But I can tell you how it works, but you don't mm-hmm. listen. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to take our second break, and when we come back, I want you to talk about how people can hear what you have to say and listen. So we will be right back. If you're just joining us, we this is Collections by Michelle Brown, and we are talking with Kyler Broadus. We'll be right back. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. back here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Kyler, you're stepping, you're still under that person of color umbrella. You're still under that that activist umbrella, but you're stepping out with your umbrella into this, this reign of dysfunction that's coming to this country that's affecting everyone, whether you're LGBTQ, black, white, straight, an ally, whatever. You're stepping out into this new endeavor of speaking your truth to power. Tell us what you're up to these days and where you're going forward. Michelle, thank you. Uh, It's been fun to be on here. I've probably been a little more political than I uh, needed to be today uh, because I actually used to work a lot of campaigns and I was, uh, actually trying to stray away from all the political rhetoric of this cycle, uh, one for my health reasons. Uh, but, um, yeah, I'm stepping out, and actually it's kind of interesting. It's like stepping back out but really into my old self, yet new self. Um, I've always done well just being me. And, uh, you know, I tried some new things on, and, you know, it just made sense to me just to do my own thing again. And because uh, Kyler's always been about bringing people together and doing work for all people. Um, you know, I remember, you know, working at, at a bank, actually worked with my cousin and uh, at this bank, and uh, people would always line up at my window, and it would be 5 o'clock on Friday. And I began to notice, and, and I started at, 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 at and I a job I had at law school, you know, when I could start working again after first year. And I started actually as a cashier at a grocery store, and they would do that in my lawn at the grocery store. And I noticed that it would always be the disabled, the immigrants, 
and all the disenfranchised people, and they would not want to go to anybody else's line. And, you know, people would try to move them. They're like, no, no matter what language they spoke, they were like, no, 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 I stay here, or, and the poor, or whoever. And they would stay in my line because one thing my parents taught me, and then when I moved across the street to the bank, the same thing would happen. And they'd stay in my line, no matter, and, you know, I would service them quickly. But I always service people with respect. And that's another value I learned from my parents, is that it didn't matter who the person was, race, color, class, that everybody deserved the same amount of respect. And they would always stay in my line. And I got to understand that. And, again, you indicated earlier in the podcast that that's the person you came to know, you know, much later in life when we met. And that's the person I am, and that nobody can uh, tamp on me or put that away or take that away from me. And so when I've tried to bring that to other entities or organizations, that, you know, it just doesn't work. So I'm stepping out just to be unabashedly Tyler Broaddus. And that's the best thing I can do for me and the world. And, and it makes me happy. It makes me joyous. And I'd love to bring that message to everybody. Uh, so I'm doing my public speaking again and bringing that message to everybody to help to unify and uplift people. Um, and, and the diversity training, which is natural, because I've done thousands of diversity classes, um, which came by accident. They weren't even my classes, but I let one student do a, a blind on me, and then the diversity teachers would ask me to come do their classes, and even though I had a heavy load, I was doing my law practice, and being a professor of my own classes, I would always volunteer and make extra time to go to their classes, and then other campuses would call, et cetera, and then that's how it kind of whirled out. And then I thought I could go back in-house to other places, and it, it, it just wasn't a fit for me. And then I had uh, a cue from one of my mentors uh, when I spun out in January that, you know, it just came to me as I spoke to, um, you know, the universe, uh, which I call God uh, now. You know, I've come home to rest calling the universe to me God because that mm-hmm. was my upbringing. And uh, you know, in a in a way, uh, difference not ne- necessarily the God that people may know, but for me, God, um, that that's what I needed to do. And then I came to rest with that's where I am, and that's a good place for me, and that's how it's going to be for the rest of my time on this earth. And it felt right, and it felt good, and it felt empowering, and especially when my mentors and friends that I trust confirmed that for me. But I didn't need their confirmation. It already felt right. But when they gave the nod, it felt even better, if you know what I mean. Like a good shoe-hitch girl. I know you know what that's about. Michelle Brown. Mm-hmm. I just had to throw that in because I know you know what that means. And so mm-hmm. it was, and then I started to get the – so then I did a couple of things with a, 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 a friend of mine, Moe Perry, and, uh, and uh, did his book and did a webinar with him and gotten a couple of clapbacks from that. And then uh, I was featured on the this magazine, the DEQ Pride magazine, and met this wonderful w- woman 
Robin, who puts that magazine out, and uh, and I'm bad. I can't remember Robin's last name now. Let me roll over here and get it. Uh, uh, Robin puts out her Business Equality Pride magazine, and uh, I'm trying to give Robin a shout-out, and I'm so bad with names, she's going to kill me. Uh, but look for her magazine. Uh, it's a great magazine, and it's out there. And uh, I was featured in it in January, and it's still rolling out. And they featured me and gave me lots of room, Robin Dillard. And and I said, I want people to see all of me, Robin. I said, they take me into this LGBTQ role, and I'm not just LGBTQ, and I'm not just trans. There's so much more of me because, uh, and I don't like that because there is so much more of me. And as you heard earlier, you know, and I do, I have all these entrepreneurs out there. I'm working internationally uh, with one group that I still work with, and I've got people all over, and, and the world sees me differently, but the LGBTQ world sees me also differently, and I want to remove myself from that and be free. And so Robin and I have been talking for months, and, and, and actually after I hit her once, she did some research, and she says, oh, you're on. You know, we're doing this. And uh-huh. so that's the, world, the thing I want to do is the world to see all of me, you know, the musician in me, which is why I moved to D.C. because I'm a big Duke Ellington fan. And, you know, the politics moved me there, but Duke Ellington was more of the reason that really moved me there, and people didn't know that. And uh, so that's what it's about, and it's about sharing my message with the world that you can do and be anything. I'm a boy that grew up on a dirt road in the middle of nowhere and in the country, and that you can believe and you can do anything you want to do and believe, and it can happen to you. And so that's what my message is. It's a universal message. But also, you can uplift the other parts of you and share that story with people, and they can get to know and change. And, you know, I have changed other people's lives. My students write back that would have been hardcore about LGBTQ issues, and I have mentored young black men that have looked to me as a man, and they write back and they go, you know what, and I got one of those back, you know, from one of my students that landed at the at NBC studio. Mm-hmm. And I gave him my publicist's name, and, you know, and he's making his way in the music industry, and I'm so proud of him. And, uh, and, he said, and then he sent me another note, and he goes, you know what, Doc? He goes, thank you for introducing me to LGBTQ issues. He goes, you know, I would have been a different man, the wrong kind of man. He goes, mm-hmm. but I'm so proud of you, and thank you for helping me to understand. And so... Okay, is there a book that, in your future? Oh, yes. And there is a book coming out very soon. There's multiple books. You know, I put that aside mm-hmm. so many years because I just didn't want it to be about one facet. I've got so much in me now, and I'm making the time to do that. So there are going to be multiple books. There's definitely going to be one coming out this year. I can't tell you the title yet because I've got so many choices that I want to hit on. But there's definitely going to be a diversity and inclusion book coming out. Um, you know, the life story one, you know, I've been like, oh, I, but I'm going to need to do that. And there's definitely going to be some business angle books coming out because, you know, I've been a business professor also. 
um, mm-hmm. and some legal stuff coming out. So, yeah, there definitely um, are going to be multiple books coming out because I feel like I'm free as a bird and I can open up and sing now. And I also well, sing, I, too. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, I know, but when you said that part, like, from coming from that dirt road, I mean, it was like right there, it's like, the things that you've seen, the things that you've done, that, that personal story right there. I mean, I know all the other things you do, you know, because you have, you know, you've done so much, but that part, wow. You know, I mean, so that for many people to stop and think, you know, don't think that you can't, you know, well, yeah. look at what you've yeah. done. No, mm-hmm. I, I realized that. Um, I just didn't want my book to be a cliche, which it won't be. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, the little boy from the dirt road is coming. Uh, that's coming. You know, I just have mm-hmm. so much now that I've taken the time to sit back and reflect. And what a lot of people, you know, I've taken a lot of shade. I've learned that word because kind of don't throw shade. I was like, what is that? You know, even though I have the southern twang, mm-hmm. people are all about throwing shade now. But I've taken a lot of shades from people like, what did you do, da-da-da. What people don't understand is as a black person and as a trans person coming from a certain era, we had to do multiple things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I, we started this trans movement of visibility, which was actually the baby boomers, because the, the, the old standard was to go out and hide amongst the people, we were the first visible, we are the first visible trans people, which people don't get that that came out and said unabashedly it's okay to be out and visible. And so uh, we had to do multiple things. So Kyler just couldn't be a lawyer even though I was getting referrals and being a lawyer out here. I also had to take up being then the advocacy person and then the window washer and taking out the trash. And so it's interesting when I take and It has happened to be a lot of young LGBT people giving me shade that uh, are into, you know, the camera moment. And I, I don't, you know, I, it doesn't bother me because I hear my dad's voice so vividly. Uh, it doesn't bother me. You can stand in line and throw all the insults you want because I've hit, taken so many. And I came out when coming out wasn't cool. You know, mm-hmm. people sent me death threats and everything. So it doesn't bother me when people hurl threats at me, especially shade. Shade doesn't mean anything because I've taken real bullets, you know, and had some real threats thrown at me to where my own law office would call me and tell me not to come in. So I stood up to lots, lots of real hate. Uh, so that shade didn't even bother me because that's like some subtle stuff. So it's funny when people do that to me. It's like, oh, you know, you got to do more than that to offend Kyler because uh, it doesn't even bother me because my father's voice immediately clicks. Like, are they paying your bills? And so All it really right. does so, uh, mm-hmm. so yes, there will be multiple books coming. There will be one coming shortly uh, that will be out, uh, and it will probably be some something uh, along the line of that, but there will be probably one more so to do with diversity and inclusion. There will probably be two books coming out this year because I just feel like I've been opened up. What mm-hmm. people don't realize is a lot of times you stuff things, being black and trans, from all the hate you received. Um, and I've always been told that I was a writer, but then you get, you know, oppressed in school. And I actually was talking to another trans person in law school yesterday. I was working online and then saw this his comment, or their, pardon me, their comment, because they used they, them, there. 
and they immediately had to respond to that because I felt they were in danger and talked them off the line yesterday and uh, told them about my experience and that they were going to be okay and, you know, that the hate that I took from one particular professor that played all of us people of color against, you know, and brought the, us into their office and told us all that we could not write and that they clearly were not using the anonymous system, that they knew each of us people of color and brought us in individually. And I attended from a writing intensive uh, middle school that had us writing at a high school level and a high school program that had us writing at a college level and a writing intensive college school that every 300 level course I had to write a 10 to 12 page paper. And so writing, you know, I don't know anything about nuclear physicists, but if you gave me a few words, I could write you an essay and make you think I was a nuclear physicist. <laughs> and this person did the divide and conquer hate thing. And obviously, went beyond the honor code and found out who every person of color was and then brought us in and told us we each that we each could not uh, intrins not uh, inherently or his words could not write that people of color inherently could not write and so that denigrated each of our spirits and we didn't share that with each other until after the first year at, at an individual gathering and realized we'd all been played and mm. so this person was a person of color they were trans and I had to uplift them because clearly their transness was being used against them in this law school. And wow. so I had to give them upliftedness because they had just went through the first semester and told them that if I could do it, they were going to do it too, and that I was going to help them get through because I had been a mentor to lots of trans people of color and not of color to get them to trans school and that we were going to do this together because that's what mm -hmm. Kyler does and that they were going to be all right. And so uh, that's what we were going to do, and that they were going to be all right, and they are going to be all right, and they are going to get through law school because we're going to do it together. So well, You know, that's, that, it is, that is so important to not only, you know, to sort of say, you know, we're going to get through this together, not just, you know, do that. Uh, that can be empty sometimes, just go, oh, it gets better. No, it gets better it's still going on, but we're going to get through this together. And that is such a, an important message that you have consistently said throughout your career. So before I let you go, how do people contact you to have you come speak, you know? Well, um, and also to keep up with what you're doing. Okay, well, and I'm going to admit that we're getting it up to up to par uh, because I'm a little behind because I have been very ill, but Kyler is on the up now, thank goodness. Uh -huh. uh, but we have not gotten my blog page up to date, but you still could re I'm getting plenty of messages there now, and that's how you can reach me at kylerbroadus.com. And uh -huh. I consistently said that throughout this because I do know how to market. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Mm -hmm. uh, but sadly, my site was gone, and my uh, dear friends are helping me, thank goodness. And my site has come back, uh, although I'm still having vision problems. And uh, my voice has come back, and I'm thankful to, for, to the universe for that, uh, even though it's a bit impaired. And, uh, and I did an outing last weekend and saw the pictures, and I'm a little horrified. Uh, but, you know, my smile has not come back. But... I know I'm going to be all right because I can talk now, 
and I had to remember mm-hmm. I was the music major, so I'm using other muscles so I can talk. And, you mm-hmm. know, I'm thankful for the universe that reminds me of that, and those voice lessons paid off, and I'm using the other muscles because my facial muscles are kind of messed up. Uh, but, you know, Kyla still doesn't let anything hold him down because I stand on the seat um, not only of my parents but my ancestors who were slaves, that if they could do what they did, there's nothing that I can't do. And that's what I always remember, that those sisters were dropping babies in the field and kept it moving. And the brothers took all the beatings in the world, and they kept it moving. And so I remember that. And so that's why I can keep it moving. And that I always also want to say to those that mentor, be real mentors. You've got to do it with people. You can't just drop them a line and say you're going to help people. You've got to do it with people because I've heard too many people. We leave people behind. I've always brought people with me. I don't leave them behind and just drop a note. And I've said that consistently through this broadcast, and I mean that. And everybody that I've mentored, they're still in touch with me, and I'm still in touch with them. I don't leave anybody behind. Uh, it's not, that's not mentoring. And I want to make that clear for the people that are out there doing their thing. And no matter how much money that I get, uh, I'm not going to forget about that because mentoring is important. You don't get your money and then leave and forget where you came from. Kyle is always going to remember he came from a little dirt road and a little house with his parents who taught him to be good and to take care of the people because otherwise you're really not mentoring. You're just about yourself. Well, Kyla, I'm going to keep up with you, and as we, we get that, um, that page up, you know, I'm going to do all I can to help you as far as getting your page up and to keep you doing what you do. And I value you as a friend, as my brother. I thank you so much for being with me today, and I want you to continue to take good care of Kyla because this world needs that little boy who came up that dirt road. Thank you, sister, for having me. The page is up, but we just got to get it up to date. It stopped in 2015 when Kyla's health went, so it's a little Mm -hmm. out of date, and so is my bio. There's many more things that I have accomplished and done and been awarded, and we will get that up to date. You can also find me on LinkedIn as well. Uh, So please, please. Uh, keep the end Corey's coming and the opportunity to speak coming because that's how Kyler's making his living, and uh, I'm very happy to speak with anybody. So thank you very much, Michelle, for the love, and I know your love is real, and my love for you is real. I want to thank today's guest, attorney, activist, mentor, public speaker, and founder of the Trans People of Color Coalition, Kyler W. Broadus. You can listen to this or past episodes of this show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or a topic for a future show. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of our intersectionality, and creating change. That's right here on Collections by Michelle Brown.
Thank you for listening.